All right, we are really blessed today to have uh, Nathan Watley speaking. Uh, him and his family, Stephanie, and their three kids have been uh, at our church for a number of years, seven years, and he's going to bless us with a message today. Thank you, Nathan. Hi. It's been seven years. I was, it's true. This is seven years. Uh, we, uh, we mark our time at Westside from Neve's birthday, because Neve is seven, just turned seven this weekend, and uh, we started coming right before she was born. So that's like our, our seven-year mark at Westside. Wow. It's, it's, uh, time flies. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. Um, yeah. So my name's Nathan. Uh, I love talking, which is one of the reasons that I, 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 uh, I do this. But I'm also really excited to share this, this message with you guys today, and I hope you will find it uh, enlightening and enriching. Um, we, have, um, we have started, it is, it is September, um, we have started school. Um, I am a, I'm an elementary school teacher, so what I do starts in September, where you guys are really happy to, to send your kids away, and my wife has the opposite effect, like, experiences me, like, the kids have just left all of them, and she has the days off at home. Not off, she's working from home. But at the same time, her, 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 her relaxed time starts now, whereas my, my crazy time starts now. Um, have you guys, I know not all of us here have kids, um, but I'm, I've, by the amount of Facebook pictures I have seen of kids starting school this week or last week, it seems like every second person that I know has sent someone to school. Actually, even my parents got into the, into the, the game. My dad is a prof, and he has this picture of my, uh, my father. I, don't, I, should have, I should have taken a picture of that and put that up there. He always takes pictures of me in his sermons. So, uh, so yeah, he, he started school, and, he had, and, and my, my mom took a picture of him before he went to, off to work, um, and that was fun. Uh, my littlest one, Aurelia, uh, started kindergarten. I know there's a bit of a, a shockwave with that. People are like, wow, kinder- yeah, she's, she's already in kindergarten. So, it's, so uh, that makes you guys feel like you've been here a long time. <laughs> um, now, now uh, um, Aurelia, um, leaving for school was not emotional for me. I was not, like, I normally, like, it would have been, like, one of those, like, oh, my baby's going to school. I was actually, I was fine. I was okay. Um, and, uh, and, and it's interesting how moments like that sometimes will. They'll get to you. You'll get emotional when something happens uh, in your life that, that, like, affects you. It gets past this, your regular wall, and, you, and, and instead of having, uh, if there's weird noises, it's from the nursery in the corner, just so you know. It's not me, and, uh, just before you ask. Uh, they're they're going to do their best to be as, as quiet as they can, but uh, we can just motor through that. I am, I'm okay with that, and uh, it's great to have them here. Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's kind of strange how you, like, um, some things really get to you and some things don't. There's some moments where um, you, you think that you're going to be okay and it's going to be fine and then you get really, really tearful and cry and other times where you're, you, you, know, you think this is going to be the saddest thing in the world and, and nothing comes. Um, and uh, there are moments like that. Um, I, my most recent moment where I was an emotional mess happened last year. Uh, at the end of last school year, for some reason, I was just a basket case. Uh, I, I pride myself on staying very calm when I say, good, say goodbye to the students when, when I'm, I'm done the school year. It's one of those things that I feel like it's a professional thing. As a teacher, you have to kind of like, it's like, it's like if you're, 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 you have to be good at saying goodbye to kids because at the end of the year, you say goodbye to the kids. It's fine. They're, they're gone. Um, you know, your accountant, 
um, when he's done your taxes, doesn't weep and hand you over your papers. It's, it's just not how it works. Um, you know, the, the, the person who served you at McDonald's doesn't hand you your order and say, here you go. Like it's, it's like, it's not the same. I feel like as a teacher, I kind of have to be like, see you later, have a good summer, uh, bye. Um, and, and I kind of, kind of laugh a little bit at them sometimes. The students are, particularly the grade six students, and I, I was, for the first time last year, a grade six teacher, but normally the grade six students are, are really weepy because they're done their elementary school, and they're all crying and bawling, and, and like even the, the really tough kids who you don't expect to get anything out of, they kind of walk down at like 2.45 before the buses leave, and they're all really tough, and, 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 uh, and you know that, that deep down inside, um, there's something going on because they're putting on the biggest show of their lives. And they, they go down the stairs and they're like, they have the, they're like either really, really, really happy or they're really serious looking, but they're not, but, but it lasts about maybe two minutes. They get out into the, they get out into the, the, the courtyard area or the, or the recess area. They see the other kids who are weeping their eyes out because they're more emotionally healthy. Um, and, and, uh, and as they're, as they're crying, and then suddenly it gets to them, and, they're, and, they're, and, they, and they go, and they just, they, they weep, and, they, and then they're all hugging each other. And us as teachers, we kind of stand back and be like, yeah, that's them. We're good at this. We don't need to, we don't, we don't need to cry at all. I was such a mess. And, and, it's, uh, and it was because of one student in particular. I, I blamed her, and I went over, and I talked to her, and I was like, this is your fault. Um, I, I, I was a mess. Um, I had one st- um, what this student did to get behind my wall of professionalism uh, was that she basically hung out with me for three years. Uh, she, she started at uh, recess in grade four when I was her teacher at the time, and she would hang out, hang out with me every time I was on duty and doing recess, and we'd chat about books, we'd chat about things that were going on over the weekend, and all the kind of stuff like that, and then she did that in grade five when, she wasn't my te- when I wasn't her teacher, and then I had her again in my class in grade six, so for three years, she, she became a friend. And, and what happened is I, I, you know, I had to say goodbye to her. And oh my goodness, it was so weepy. It just happened. I, that was made up. I didn't do that. I am a bit emotional as I mentioned it now. But at the same time, I, I, it was one of those moments that, um, that the walls come down and, and something happens. Um, now, there's big moments like that. I think, you know, weddings and funerals and, and like that was a big moment for me. But there's also moments, even small moments that I think... Um, God uses to get our attention. And uh, there's a, in, in the Bible, there's two words for time. There's the word chronos, which we know well, which is a word that, that means, you know, like, you know, the watch. You know, we get chronos watches and we have chronologies. And, and chronos is the Greek word for time. Like, what, ti- what time is the bus coming at? What chronos is the bus coming at? That's kind of how the Greek would use the word chronos. Now, the other word in, in Greek is the word kairos. And it's a noun as well. And a kairos, and this is a definition I really like from a, an author named Mike Breen. And he says it's an event, an opportunity, a moment in time when perhaps everything changes because it is the right time. It's a, it's a moment where, um, where God shows up and it's like, this is the perfect timing. Often we, we will go through, we'll go through life and then something comes up and like, oh, this is the perfect timing. It showed up. This happened and this is perfect. You know, I met this person. We had this great conversation and it was a perfect timing. For me, uh, that student, in some ways, that, that, that going goodbye thing was the perfect timing. It hit me at a point at the same time as my daughter was finishing, uh, uh, my youngest daughter was finishing uh, daycare at the same time. So there was a, a, a flurry of emotions that kind of culminated in that, and I was emotionally ready for God to speak to me about something. And uh, how I see it, 
and how I think the, even the scriptures say is that you have like this, let's just imagine your life to be like an arrow. And I have a, a little graph here. And uh, for those listening on the podcast, it's like a line with little yellow dots in it. And every dot kind of re- represents just events in your life, you know? Like, uh, so that, that, that uh, June day would have been like, all right, I arrive at the school, dot number one. We say hi to everybody, dot number two. We do a few games and stuff, three, four, et cetera. And then, and then you get to the point when something happens, a kairos moment, and that could be marked by a little red dot in one of these moments. Now, a moment like that is where you do feel like something's breaking through, and these kind of things happen way more than I think we, we realize. You know, when we get upset with our, with our kids uh, when, or with a coworker, uh, when we, we, we feel uh, depressed or when we feel excited about something, uh, these are moments where, um, you know, it's beyond the ordinary, something God's trying to get our attention or something's trying to happen in your life and there's a possibility and opportunity for change. It's a moment where transformation can happen. Now, what I did after that emotional breakdown in June is I did spend a time of reflection. And I think after, when a Kairos moment happens, you kind of need to stop. And, and there's, that's why I put a little arrow there underneath the red dot showing that there's, you need a period to process What's happened? You need to reflect on it. You need to think, hey, why was I so emotional about that? What, what, got, you know, what got to me there? Um, and I started to have to reconsider part of like, that, you know, that wall that I put up as a teacher. Um, why was that there? Why did that matter? Why was it so important for me to be so distant in some of my ways, some of the way, some of, in some ways to my students? Um, I've always... Um, prided myself, like I, I, in my first years of teaching, I always wore a tie because I'm like, this is my character. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a teacher and I need to keep this wall between myself and the students and I need to show that in the way that I act. Um, I believe there's important to be professional and, I, and, I, and there is a difference between being a teacher and a friend. However, I think I was a bit further than that. I had this kind of, this really, uh, I, this idea that yes, I like my students, but I don't know how much I love my students. And, uh, and as I reflected that over that, and as I processed that, processed that I kind of started realizing, hey, I could probably invest more in my students. And, that, and I kind of almost have to thank that student for, for doing that and showing me and investing that time in me for me to realize I could, I could be closer with my students. I could be an even better teacher than I am now. And, and I can tell you now, September, I've already started the year differently. I've, I've already been more intentional about getting to know the, the kids in my class. I, I've already, I have a higher standard of what I could be as a teacher because of what she's done. And, and she didn't do it on purpose. I don't, I don't think so, but, but it's still her fault. And, um, and, and I, I, I'm not going to cry this year. I'm, maybe I will. I don't know. But either way, what happens after that is that it's, if, you, if you take the time to process and go through that Kairos moment, it kind of sends you in a new direction. And that, it, it changes what way your life would have been heading had you not taken the time to process that, had you not taken the time to go through it and let it, and let it sink in. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to go through a, a, a story in Scripture where Jesus had this kind of kairos moment, where um, himself, Jesus walked, well, he didn't really have the kairos moment, but the people who met him had this, kind of, these kairos, this opportunity to stop and to think and to reflect and to change. And uh, I feel like as you look through the Gospels and you study through like, all the things he did, he would come often to spots where he would meet people and the people would leave change. I'm sure there were other people that Jesus would meet, like bystanders who just kind of saw him walk by with a bunch of people who were completely unaffected by him. But there were other people who, when Jesus intervened in their lives, they changed. So we're going to look at a, a passage in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, 
how Jesus encounters these people, the moment that happens, the Kairos event that happens, and how people are transformed by it. And then and we'll ask two major questions. First, how did they respond? And then the second question is, how would you and I respond in those situations? Like, how does, and how do we respond right now in our lives as Jesus speaks to us and as we feel like God is changing us? So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If not, I have it on the screen as well. So either way, whatever you prefer. Um, Here we go. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Hopefully they were insured. Um, Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and were afraid. Those who had um, seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then their people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So quick context here. Um, the, where, the place that Jesus is at is called the Gerasenes. It's part of the Decapolis, which is a region on the other side from Galilee where the Jews lived. So it's an area where um, it's almost like a colony of Roman citizens. People who had lived there weren't necessarily uh, Jewish. Uh, there must have been some Jews among them, but it was more likely that these people were, were of more of a, a Greek background or a Hellenic background. So, so when Jesus shows up, it's not like in the other places where everyone knows who he is, which is why they need to have some, some explanation about what was going on. It's also a place um, where we have this, this, the, this individual who has been terrorizing people who's been living in this area. So, so Jesus, by parking, his boat, by parking the boat there, kind of walks into a space where he hasn't been before and where most Jews aren't normally. It's, you can tell, tell by the pigs. Pigs are not very popular in Galilee because that, they were considered unclean animals. Um, the Jewish people didn't eat them. So, so to have a large herd of them would only make sense if it was a space where people didn't really follow the Jewish faith. So, so to begin with, we have this guy who shows up and he has impure spirits. And the other word they use is demons. Um, so, so let's just 
pause a second because I feel like that often is a hurdle. I start with, the minute the word demon is said, a lot of people just kind of shut off and say, hey, what do we have to, what do we have to say about demons? You know, like, demons, like, come on. That's, like, not now. That's not something that, that's common. It's not something we talk about. I remember when I first saw this story, I was, um, it was in this movie. This is the 1990s Jesus movie. It was an evangelism tool that was handed out worldwide in a whole bunch of languages. And the funny, like, it, like the one thing that, remember, shocked me as a kid is this guy was stark naked and you saw his bare bum in the video. And me and my brothers referred to him as bare bum man. And if you talk to people who've been in the church for a long time and you mention bare bum man, they know exactly who you're talking about. It's this guy here. Um, it's pro- it was, I've never seen him in another movie, so this might be like his one big role. And I can just imagine him introducing himself at parties. Hey, I was a guy that was naked in the movie. Um, but uh, he, anyway, so he's... So what, 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 but what do we have to do about... Like, I find like in the modern context, and in the world that we live in now, the idea of talking about demons besides in the context of the horror movies that are coming out in the next weekend or so, is not very popular. It's not something that we really talk about. It's not something that we discuss in the church very often. You have more likelihood to hear about it um, on, like, on like A&E documentaries, like ghost-searching type things, than you would have in, let's say, uh, in, in church almost, because we don't talk about it very much. And I think that's okay. Because, um, you know, one of the authors I really respect, C.S. Lewis, says there's kind of two, two opposite mistakes. You can either kind of ignore the whole spiritual side of demons completely and say that there's not, no such thing, or you could be really obsessed with it and talk about it all the time. And I think in both those situations, it's not very healthy. So, so let's, let's just talk about, um, first of all, what do we think it is? Well, we can first start, like, the, what's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with his... His, his, you know what's wrong with him. And, and, and I think we can look at it from a very, like, from, like take a kind of a scientific skepticism to it. And in modern days, we say that we can pretty much study, understand, and fix every problem. He seems to be, if we look at his, his symptoms, like he's, he has a multiple personality disorder. He, he seems to have some kind of psychosis leading him to like, self-mutilating tendencies. Um, he is antisocial in his behavior. He potentially has some kind of uh, uh, diagnosis that makes him uh, you know, have, go into rages, so probably some anger management issues. So there's lots of, like, like if, we, if we were to take that person and put him in a modern, modern context, they'd have probably put him in an institution of some kind, and we'd try to fix him with some kind of heavy medication and maybe zonk him out. So there'd be like, a, there'd, be, there'd be a modern way to look at this that's very different than how they would look at it back in the day. Um, and I think that um, we have, there, there's a lot of good in the, in the realms of mental health. There's a lot of good that's been done in scientific study. I, I'm not, I think that there's, there's probably, you know, I, I bet you even in the modern context, this person in an institution probably could have been cared for in a, in a way that would have made him maybe a bit more, more, more safer. Uh, they had chains, but tranquilizers would have helped. They didn't have those at the time, besides large rocks, but I don't think they were going to do that. Um, so, so they had, um, so that's one way to look at it. And, that, and I think as you look at it, you know, you can look at this view from the scientific skeptic view. And I find that a lot of other people in the day, uh, and even today, um, could look at that and take a different point of view and start seeing the demonic possession. And I find that in our modern society, even in, in the church, you can have sign of kind of people that are kind of like religious hypochondriacs. And they would see it this way. 
Um, demon, demon, demons. Ah! The, kind of the, the, the idea of like, um, you know, and, and I, I've met these, these people in the church even who, who the minute they see something weird or something strange, they'll say it's a demonic possession. It's, it's, the, it's the work of the devil. It's the work of the enemy. And they go into that, 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 that mentality of, um, hey, um, we don't know what's going on, so it must be this. And there's actually been and I, I've seen this firsthand. I've seen people who've received, you know, they've had mental health issues or problems, and, and they've gone to see uh, a Christian for help for, or prayer or whatever, and, and, and then the Christian says, well, you don't need to go see a psychologist. You just need to pray over it. I'm sure that's just a demon thing. We don't need to go see, to get extra help about it. We just need, you know, you just need to pray more. And when the person prays more and it doesn't change anything, or the person does this thing that they have to do and it doesn't change anything, suddenly they're like, oh, Oh, I, you know, like, God doesn't help me, God doesn't love me. And, and there's a, it goes into this very dangerous space as well. So I think there's, there's two ways to look at it. You can go, those are like the two extremes of the pendulum. And I, and I hope that you can see with, with me that I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. That there is truth to the fact that, you know, this man had mental health issues. But there's also clearly in this story truth that this person had demons because they killed the pigs afterwards. Um, so so there's, there's, a real, there's a reality to the spiritual world that goes beyond what we can see. Um, I remember as a teenager, I was reading these books uh, and they came out in the 90s and, and they were about like, and they had like these vivid descriptions of what was happening behind the scenes invisibly. I, I don't know if you guys remember the Peretti books, but they were like, they'd have on one side, you'd have like the demons and the angels fighting and it was like one chapter, and you turn the page, and it was like the regular people and how that invisible fight was affecting them. Um, but at the same time, I think that I don't know. I, we, we don't know what it's, what's happening behind the scenes. We can't see it. That's why it's invisible, because if we could see it, it would be different. Um, but at the same time, we know that there is a reality to the spiritual that, we, that is beyond what we can understand, what we can see. And essentially, before we really dig into this story, before we look at this Kairos moment, we have to decide what we believe about what's happening there. And I choose to believe, when I read this passage, that Jesus is, delib- is really encountering a man who has demons inside of him, a man who has impure spirits, as the Bible says. The word demon comes from the Greek. Uh, it, it started appearing in 200 years before Jesus arrived, and, and the Greeks and Romans believed in those kind of spirits that were between um, God, they weren't God, but were like, you know, between human and, and, and divine and kind of like an opposite of an angel. And you see a bit of that in the Old Testament, but it really is a New Testament idea. And, uh, but we have to believe in some ways that whatever Jesus did there, when he chased out these, these spirits, this person was healed and delivered. And I believe that even today in our scientific world, we believe in demons. Even non-Christians will believe in demons. And I can tell you why. Because the minute there's a, there's a famous person who, who, who commits suicide or something bad happens, often will blame their inner demons. Like, it, it, it's, it's the wording. And, they, and, and I think they, there's a genuine, a genuine belief in that. They might not imagine them or they wouldn't necessarily draw them with, like, the red head and the, the, the horns. And they wouldn't do that, but they would believe in that. You know, when Anthony Bourdain died over, over the summer, he committed suicide. Um, he was a, a well-known uh, chef and seemed to be an altogether all-around nice guy or whatever. And, and he committed and he died, but then the, the tributes would always start talking about how he was struggling with something he couldn't overcome. And, um, and we tend to f- think that we could fix everything, but when we're really honest, 
There are moments in our lives when we get to a problem in our own life personally or in the life of someone that we love and care about and we start, when we start to believe, I cannot fix this. No matter what the solutions are, I cannot fix this. And, and this is something, as I was reflecting and thinking over this, I think what we believe about demons often depends on how much we care about the person or people we are talking about. What we believe about demons often depends on how much we care about the person, people we're talking about. If it's someone we don't care about, we tend to immediately go for the scientific approach. We say, hey, that person's a drunk. He needs to get his act together. He needs to go to AA. He needs to do this, this, and this, and this. That'll fix the problem. We, we go to that like, whole prescriptive medical, I'm the doctor, I know how to fix it kind of solution. That's what we do. But if we were the relative of that drunk, and we've been with that person, and we've seen the, what they've tried to do, and we've, we've sat with them, and we've... And we've um, you know, we know that it's a deep alcoholism and that it goes back generations and that his father and that his, his uncle and aunt was like that too. And, and when we see all the, 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 the hurt in the person's life and all the, 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 you know, the damage that's there and you understand as you care about the person, as you love that person, that it might be bigger than just this will fix it, this will fix it, the end. Because when you care about the person, you start realizing how big the thing is and you start realizing that there might be demons in the sense that there might be, and if the word demon is throwing you off, there might be something outside of their control that's destroying them. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, often there's something outside of our control that's destroying us, personally, and we don't know how to deal with it. So we have this demoniac, that's the word for a person who has a demon, and, and Jesus comes to him, and what's his first response? His first response is, well, what have you got to do with me? In French, c'est quoi ton rapport? Or like, what, you know, what, you know it's like, you have nothing to do with me. What, you, you, this, is none of my, this is none of your business, Jesus. It, and the, if you look at the original Greek, it really comes across as, this is none of your business. You have nothing to do with me. And then second, after he realizes that Jesus is there, pretty, pretty much instantaneously, he's like, please don't torture me. Don't hurt me. Don't, just don't. You know, please promise to pray, promise, you know, promise God, swear to God that you're not going to hurt me. And then number three, okay, okay, I, I'll go, I'll leave, but let me go in the pigs. That is the reaction of the demoniac. Interestingly, if you look at what those reactions mean, it's pretty much our reaction, pretty much whenever God um, asks us to change. We start with, if you look at the next page, a dismissal. Oh, God's not all that, doesn't matter too much to God. You know, if I, if, I, if I have a hard time going to bed at a reasonable time, I go to bed at two in the morning every, every night because I'm busy playing video games or whatever. That's, that's my business. God, doesn't have the, God has nothing to do with that. That's, that's, none of my business. that's not his business. You dismiss it first. God has nothing to do with that. I get angry with my coworkers. Oh, God has nothing to do with that. I, I, I have a problem with my anger with my kids. Oh, God has nothing to do with that. You dismiss it, the first thing. And then the second thing we do is we, 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 we go into fear or worry. If I change that, if I don't, if I, if, if I stop um, being so angry, then what's going to happen, you know, you know they're gonna, people are going to get off the hook. And it's just, uh, if I stop going to bed, my life's going to be, uh, if I start going to bed earlier, my life's going to be boring. You kind of go into that like, it's going to torture, it's going to be a torture, it's, uh, it's going to be awful. It's, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to live without this thing. 
And then we start negotiating with God. Okay, God, I'll change, but on Fridays, I'm going to stay really up, I'm going to stay up really late on Fridays. Or you'll kind of, kind of compromise. Just let me go in the pigs. You know, like, I, 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 will, I, will, I will change, but there's a little bit of me that will stay the same because I just can't handle a complete change. Isn't that us? I know that's me. I looked at a lot of different things in my life over the past time. I'm like, that is exactly what I do. So do I have a demon? You know, depends. I, I believe that Jesus lives in my heart and I believe that he's changing and transforming me. But I also remember that when I pray the Lord's Prayer, it ends with Matthew 6.13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So if Jesus is asking me to pray and ask for deliverance, then maybe I need to be honest that I definitely need his help and that I don't have it all together and I need to be delivered. So that... I think, is, is where we need to start. So this man comes to Jesus, and then what does Jesus do? He frees him. And I came across in my searching for images. I, don't, I try not to put too many pictures, but I saw this one, and I just kind of like, like there's, I, I kind of cropped the cool part, the big, the big beautiful parts at the bottom, but I just kind of like the guy at the back, and you're like, my pigs! And, I think, and jumping off the back, I find there was something innately funny about this picture. You don't necessarily have to agree. But I, I, I just, I don't know, occasionally, I feel like it's a great, like, uh, okay. I thought that would be, I thought that'd be funnier than it was. Um, but uh, yeah, so, the, so, so what happens, Jesus delivers him, and you have this really cool moment where, where these pigs jump off the cliff and start like bobbing on the sea. Um, and and you, you have them drowning and you're like, what is this? This is this weirdest, one of the weirdest scenes in scripture. I, could, I, I talked about it. I, I talked to a whole bunch of people. I'm like, why didn't Jesus just say, no, go away? Why did he let this happen? I think he was trying to show how serious demons can be and how destructive they are. By letting him do that, the people who read the Bible kind of can see right away that, that those, those evil things that you hold on to can really destroy. Uh, they were destroying that man, and then when you let them into something else, they're even more destructive. They just can't help themselves. Um, so, so you see that, um, and you see this transition, and you see that the man is, 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 is freed from what's been holding him back and causing him so much suffering for so long. And what you see from that is that you find them coming, the people coming back to see what's going on, because this is kind of causing a commotion. And it says in the scriptures, if you can go to the next slide, it says, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So we have a second Kairos moment here. You, you, have, uh, you have the people showing up and feeling a great amount of fear, because what they're seeing doesn't make sense to them, and it's kind of freaking them out. There's this man who was so dangerous and destructive in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet, and they're blown away by this. And their response wasn't one of change. Their response was one of fear, and it led to asking Jesus to leave. So as they had this opportunity to have the living God present in their town, because they freaked out, they asked him to go. It was just too much. And often when we come, and I think this is true of us too often, when we come to the point where we believe we need to change something, we get afraid and we ask Jesus to back off. It's too much. I can't handle that right now. And they missed out. They really did. 
They, they missed out on the, 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 the change that God could do in their hearts. They missed out on having the one who could heal their sick and their wounded. He, they missed out on have, hearing the message that would change their lives. They missed out on hearing um, about the good news of the kingdom of God and what that meant. And it, it, it really, I think it, it, for them, for the, in that moment, what were they afraid of? Were they afraid of the economic cost? Having those pigs, because they also saw the pigs floating there, and they also saw the, you know, the, the, the uh, they also saw the damage that could be done. They they saw the cost of what a change could take, and they thought maybe that was too much to handle. And I think that's true of us. Often, our our, you know, if if we look at what following Jesus could cost us, either financially or in terms of like what what it could cost our even our our, our daily lives and our schedules and our, our calendar, it we get scared and we're like, no, that would just be too much. We look at an opportunity like Alpha or something like that coming up, and we're like, hey, I really feel like God needs me, I need to do that. But hey, it would just be really hard for my Mondays. And, it would be, and it's, it's, it's natural. It's, it's hard. To, to, you know, and our first reaction, I know that when, when Stephanie and I first talked about hosting it, um, our, one of our first reactions was like, that's going to be really hard. I don't think we could do that. But then as we prayed about it, it, it became something that we're like, hey, we, sh- we should. And we delayed, and we did, and, and we did. So, so, so. Hopefully, you know, maybe God's calling some of you guys to, to step out and say, hey, this sun, a Sunday night a month for a season, we should, well, I think God wants us to do that. Or a Monday for a season, God wants us to do that. Um, so, it's, it's, so often those challenges are, look like the cost looks really high. And, and the fear of what Jesus can do through that can be really, really terrifying, and then you back off. But when you do that, you miss out. And, they had, and Jesus okay, it said, okay. I think one of the great characteristics about Jesus is that he's not going to be pushy. He's not going to come to you and force himself on, on a place where they don't want him. He's a gentleman. You know, and, and often the people ask, well, why doesn't God make the whole world Christian just by like, snapping his fingers like Thanos? No. It's not, that's not how it works. He's not going to force himself. I love that I managed to put an Avengers reference in this sermon, just saying. Um, but, but yeah, so, so it's not... It's not, it's not how he acts. He respects us to the point and loves us to the point where he's not going to force his way in. So, so, so what do they do? They ask him to leave and he goes. And then there's the third response. There's a the changed man's response. The first thing he wants to do is follow Jesus. So there's a third person in the story because he's not the same as he was before. The demons have left him and he's, he's now in his right mind and the first thing he wants to do is follow Jesus. I don't know why. I think probably because Jesus is awesome. But also, I think that there, there might have been a, maybe a, a, an element of fear in that that he wanted to be with Jesus and because and, he's worried that he might slip back into his old ways or that the demons would come back. He might have feared genuinely for, for a lot of reasons. Like we don't know what was in his mind and why he said he, he begged Jesus. The word says he begged Jesus to follow him. But then, you know, and he's, really, and he's willing to leave all that he knows, everything that's familiar, and cross the sea to an area where things are Jewish and things are different, and he's willing to go. And, and there's a level, he doesn't have that fear anymore of who Jesus is. Despite the fact that, you know, he knew what Jesus could do, he's not, he's not holding back because he knew that Jesus was good. There's, he's free from that fear. But then Jesus says no to him. That's not how it's going to work. Go back and tell your the, your, the people in your village go back and tell your family about me, and he goes. So his third reaction, I think, is the one that I think really sticks to me and, and, and forces me to really rethink how I act. It's a, an answer of submission. Jesus says no 
You can't come with me right now. Go do this instead. And he goes and he does that. And it says that the people were amazed. But I think that's the hardest thing because you have this idea in your mind, even after Jesus has transformed you, you have this idea in your mind of, hey, I'm still in charge. I am going to do this and this and this. And Jesus says, no, now that I'm your Lord, now that I've changed you, this is how you're supposed to live your life. This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is the direction you're supposed to go. And the hardest thing to do is say, yes, I will do that. I will submit. And that's, I think, the reaction of someone who's been changed. And it's, react, and it's something that I hope for all of us. As Jesus transforms us and as we're willing to deal with Kairos moment number one of him showing up and, deal, and, and asking us about the thing that's, that's holding us back, the things we need deliverance from, as he delivers us from those, those, those addictions that we might have, from those struggles we might be facing, um, once he does deliver us, because I believe he will, come to him and, and he will deliver you. After that moment, it's to then say, yes, I'm delivered, but I now belong to someone else. And I'm going to obey and follow his lead. And that's very, very hard. That's, I can tell you now that's where I struggle with the most every day is to figure out, is this day going to be about him or about me? Am I going to go his way or my way? Am I going to be attentive? Am I going to process things the way he wants me to do it? Or am I not going to just let life breeze by? It's difficult. So where I'm, I'm going to lead us, I think, is, is to ask, first of, all, first, first of all, where are you at? If today you feel like you're wrestling with your demons, if you feel like today there are things in your heart, in your life, that you need freedom from, one of the first things that we can do is to pray for you and over you, to sit with you and, and have you, you know, you don't necessarily need to share everything. It's not, not the point. The point isn't to like list, uh, like when, 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 when the demons were saying their name was Legion, Jesus didn't ask, hey, okay, tell, like, okay start, start with A and work in alphabetical order. I want to know them all. Like it's, it's not, the point isn't to like list out all the, div, all the vices in our lives and all the bad things. That's not, I don't think that's what Jesus is interested in. Um, but he does say, hey, what, you know, he knows what the problem is and he knows how to heal it. So come for prayer and, and ask someone that you love and care about to pray for you and with you. And we're not Jesus. We don't have the power, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we can hope, um, and there's, you know, we can hope that through his power we can see change and, and, and transformation. And I remember there's one great story in the Bible where the disciples are trying to chase out this demon out of this person and Jesus comes up and, and, and tells the demon, go, and, and the demon's gone. And the disciples are like, how did you do that? Why did, how, we tried and it didn't work. Why did it work for you and not for us? And he, Jesus says to the men, this kind only comes out through prayer. So the first application is to pray and to get people praying with you. That doesn't mean we need to undo all like the, like the, the social and psychological and all the, you know, it doesn't mean that we need to like dismiss all the other sources of the problem. It doesn't mean that there, there's no need for counseling or, or mental health professionals. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying first and foremost is that, you know, there's a spiritual aspect to things and that's our specialty at the church. We believe in the spiritual aspect of things and, and let us pray for you where you're wrestling. Because if you stay in the darkness about it, and if you don't mention it to anyone, no one knows you're struggling. 
No one knows what, what, you know, no one knows what you're going through if you don't tell anybody. It's why I believe in community. It's why we have a community group because it forces us as a, a part of a community group to always be with each other. And, or we, we commit to regularly being together so that when we know when something is going on, we can pray for one another. If, we, if, if you're on your own, who are you going to go to for prayer? The church is here for you. But at the same time, maybe God's asking you to be the person for that other person. And if you're not with them, how will you know? So part of our desire at Westside is to connect people, not just with God, but also to one another, so that we have a network of people who can, who can be there for you and with you through, all the, through, through, through life. Um, so if you're wrestling with your demons, know also that God can carry you out of this. And don't live in the fear that this will never change. Because even if it doesn't go in a week, it doesn't go in a year, it doesn't go in a 10 years, it doesn't go in, in, in your entire lifetime, we know the promises of Scripture are clear that in the end, Jesus will make all things right. So none of this is forever. And he will heal all these, the, none of these demons are lasting till heaven. You also might be in another space. You might be too worried and afraid of what's happening here on earth to even think about this spiritual stuff. You might still be grieving over your pigs, is the way I put it. You, know, you might be like those people from that town who show up and see this man transform and change, this person made whole, and are more worried about this crazy guy who made all the pigs jump off the cliff. If we're so worried about what's happening in the here and now that we forget what God's doing, then we, we are missing out also. And often, and, and we meet people, and maybe even that's us, where you know, we're in a situation like we're in a, even we're sitting in, in a, tr- a room like this one, and we're listening to, to, to Nathan ramble on, and, and, and you think, oh, you know, I'm really worried about my bank stuff and this, and then you go, your, your brain goes off in another direction. You're just not worried. You're not here. You're not now. And that, and that, you know, and that may be an indicator and a sign that maybe you're too preoccupied with the stuff that you can't see what Jesus wants for you right now in your life. And if that's the time, maybe your Kairos moment is to realize, hey, there's something to be awakened here that I'm not paying attention to. Maybe I'm too busy thinking about my, my friendships at school or my, um, my, uh, my promotion at work or my retirement plans that I'm forgetting about what God wants for me right now in my life. And it's a difficult thing to t- think about. And we might be tempted to be like those village people and be like, hey, I'm not interested. Just leave, Jesus. You kind, of, you kind of scare me. But notice that if you're in the third spot, if you're submitting to your Lord, your, your, Lord, your Savior, if you're, if, you're, if you're following Jesus like that new, new man, that, whole, that, that man doesn't carry around the same fear. In a, you know, he, he lives free. Have you guys ever been to the dentist Yes, I hope so. At least once. Um, I don't like going to the dentist. And when I go, I always get really tense. And like, I'll sit in the chair and like, my, my, hand, my palms get like, clenched and, and sweaty. And then they, I, I create, I'm oversharing, but I create massive plaque in my mouth. So I, my, my, I don't get cavities, but I get lots. I have to go to the dentist a lot. I, more than I do. Um, and, um, but I have strong teeth. 
but I, but I don't like going because I know they're going to be grating with their little pick thingy at my, my mouth. I just don't like it. It tenses me up. I get all sweaty. Um, but I think the fear of going and the fear of sitting down is always worse than I, is always, is always worse before I, I, it actually starts. And it's never as bad as I, th- I feel like it's going to be. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe I, like, I, I lucked out. Perhaps for you, it was awful and really bad, and it was an awful example. In which case, ignore my example. But there's often, there, there, there are ways that, that we think we, over, we fear much bigger than the actual problem really is. And, and you know, Jesus' touch you know, is light in the sense that, yes, he does do big changes in our lives and, and can transform and, and, and make things different. And it can be painful while he does it. But it's never as bad as we think it might be because Jesus is good and we know that. So there's, there's, there's hope in that too. And I think as we, as, we, as we go into the next step, I think we should, we should, we should be ready to submit to Jesus, su- submit to our, to, to our new Lord and Savior and to say, hey, um, God, you know where I'm at. You know you've already changed my life. I wouldn't be the same person if it was not for, for, for Jesus. And, and I think for a lot of us, we can say that same thing. And as we realize that he's delivered us, we need to ask that next step. Now, Jesus, what? Where are you calling me next? What are you wanting me to do in, my, in the next steps, in my next, in my next week even? Not necessarily, even this afternoon. And... Um, and, I, and I'm hoping that as, as you, you reflect over that and as you think over that, um, God will speak to you because I don't know what he wants from you right now, but he knows. And I think you might know already have some clues. So let, let God speak to you and, and be willing to submit. Start thinking of steps so that you could concrete steps. You could be like, hey, yeah, I'm going to try that. And then ask someone to pray for you because it's through prayer. It's with his help that we can accomplish these things. None of these Kairos moments would have happened without the presence of Jesus right there. So, 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 so as you go through your day, look for Jesus and what he's doing in your life and stick to him as he sticks to you. So let me pray for us because we all need this help. And, uh, and then, and then uh, I'll send you guys off on your, enjoy the beautiful afternoon. Lord, I, I thank you for this, this community. I thank you for how uh, you've brought us here. I thank you that our voices and our presence can fill this church that's been empty. I can just imagine how happy the people who used to come here uh, would be to be in this place with so many people, and to know that it's being used to worship you and to, to, just to, to share your good news. Lord, I pray for, for us as we go forward in submission, as we look for deliverance, as we might be distracted by, by the, the pigs in our lives rather than what you want. God, be present. Show us what you want. Show us what, what you want from us and, and how you want us to change. Give us the courage to step forward. Give us the help we need through our friends and through your word. Deliver us. Lead us not into temptation, God. Help us go forward with the strength of your Holy Spirit this week and make the difference in the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.